0: always feels a little funny sitting in the pews while the music is going on. Uh, I mean, to me. Maybe it doesn't to you. but <laughs> I found it interesting when I went into the fellowship hall this morning that on the whiteboard on the far side, somebody had written out the alphabet. They wrote alphabet and then had written out the letters of the alphabet. Uh, I found that funny because first thing I would like to ask this morning is, has anybody been practicing their alphabet this week? Anybody sing that song this week? A, B, C, D, E, F, G? Pro- probably not. Uh, you carefully try to make sure that you got all the letters in the right order. Nobody? Uh, did you use a pencil and try to very carefully make each of the letters correctly in uppercase and lowercase? Or, yes, unless you're, you have a young child in your house that you're trying to help with that, you probably didn't. Question number two. Anybody read anything this week? Perhaps. Okay. Yeah. Maybe a can label or a cereal box label, um, newspaper, a novel, magazine article, blog, your Bible, a Bible commentary. Did you write anything this week? Could be a check. Could be an email, homework assignment, um, or a letter to a family member. Maybe your doctoral thesis. And next question is, do you know where we're going to turn in our Bibles this morning? Hebrews chapter 6. I'm using the King James, New King James Bible this morning, um, for anybody who's using a device to follow along. I'm going to read the first 10 verses. Don't worry, we're not going to try to cover all of the first 10 verses. Be lucky if I get through three. <clears throat> Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, If they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes on it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, Though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have showed toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Now, straight up, when I started trying to teach through the book of Hebrews several years ago, I I do not remember how long it's been, uh, my original intent was that I would Try to take one Sunday a month and teach from the book of Hebrews until I completed the book. If you have noticed, I have not made it very far. um, And I have not been preaching from the book of Hebrews once a month. Um, Part of the reason for that is when I was going into the book of Hebrews, we, we had been memorizing in the book of Hebrews over the summer one year. And I thoroughly enjoyed working on memorizing in the book of Hebrews. And there was a lot in there that I thought would be good to teach on. And a lot that I thought, you know, now that I am memorizing this and thinking about it on a daily basis, I have a better understanding of it than I did before. And I would like to teach on it. And then as I began to think about teaching it, I got into studying it more and discovered that there 's a lot in there that I still didn 't understand, and it was a lot of work, and once a month was not going to get it. Um, there's a lot more that i hadn 't understood. The longer I have spent in the book of Hebrews, the more I love the book i I really appreciate the pictures of Christ that I see in the book, and all that I learn about him from reading in the book of Hebrews and memorizing in the book of Hebrews and studying in the book of Hebrews but the longer i spend time in it the more i learn that there's a lot i don't know and a lot that i need to understand better so that said it has been a long time since i taught on a sunday morning from hebrews and part of the reason for that is because i have just bumped into hebrews chapter 6 i was aware that hebrews chapter 6 was there and i when i was memorizing in Hebrews chapter six, I thought to myself, I have a pretty good handle on this now. I think I understand what it's talking about, and I'm ready to teach on that when I get there. And as I have gone, you know, several years now without uh, without getting there yet, I have discovered over and over again that there is a lot in there that I still don't understand, which is a humbling thing, and that's not a bad thing because I need humbling. Um, so The first word in Hebrews chapter six, therefore, which means we got to look back because what is coming is based on what has just been said. So back up Hebrews chapter five, starting in verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again, the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Talking about the difference between milk and solid food. It's talking about maturity versus immaturity, and using that metaphor of, Milk versus solid food. Sometimes I wonder if I have bitten off more than I can chew. Now, when we were in Hebrews chapter 5, I mentioned that if you are a new believer, those verses that we just read are not talking to you directly, at least not yet. These verses are not being critical of newborn believers being newborns. Who this is criticizing is those of us who have been saved for a while, a long while perhaps, and may have a problem here. On the other hand, there may be some here who are fully at the level of maturity that is fitting for the time that they've been saved. Maybe you're where you ought to be in your spiritual understanding and your walk with God. I don't know. But the writer here tells his readers that they have been saved long enough that they ought to be able to teach. But instead, they have let their hearts become dull to the Word of God, and they need someone to teach them again the first principles. We talked about, last time we looked at Hebrews chapter 5, that it's not that you're in need of someone to teach you again, but that you're again in need of someone to teach you. So apparently, at some point, they had grown, but they have regressed to a state where They don't understand the things that they once understood, and they need somebody to go over it, teach them again. Now, as we get into chapter 6, I want you to notice that although he said, you need somebody to teach you again the first principles, he does not volunteer to do that. Instead, he's going to drag them kicking and screaming, drag us, perhaps, kicking and screaming into some of the more solid food. He says, therefore, leaving the first principles, the elementary principles, let us go on to perfection. He's not going to go back and reteach all the elementary things. He says, we're going to leave that and we're going to move on to perfection. So in effect, he says, time's up. We're moving on out of the wading pool into the deep end and off with the training wheels. It's time to learn to balance the bike. That's my paraphrase. Um, and yes, when you get to chapter 6, it is as if he has just thrown us into the deep end. Um, chapter 6, at least the first several verses, are widely considered to be one of the hardest passages to to interpret correctly. It does take a lot of chewing. And some commentaries, some commentators, have just skipped the first few verses of chapter 6, and moved on to other things. So, before we go into this, I would like to read a quote from William MacDonald's Believer's Bible Commentary. Quote, 6-1, the warning which began in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, continues throughout this chapter. It is one of the most controversial passages in the entire New Testament. Get this, since so many godly Christians are disagreed on its interpretation we must not speak with dogmatism we present the explanation which seems most consistent with the content with the, I mean with the context and with the rest of the New Testament in quotation I would also like to suggest that if you start looking at commentaries on chapter 6 that you keep in mind two verses from the book of Proverbs chapter 18 and one verse from Acts chapter 17. Perhaps it would be a good idea before you start looking at commentaries on chapter 6 to memorize those these three verses. One of them is Proverbs eighteen seventeen, which says, The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. To me, in Bible study, that means when you start looking at Commentaries the first commentary you pick up may seem to be right on the money might have a, a good explanation makes great sense to you but then you pick up another commentary and he shows things that uh, point out flaws in the arguments of the first guy or he brings in other scriptures that weren't considered by the first guy because we do use other scripture to interpret when you when you come into something Like this passage, you need to consider other Scripture and what is taught elsewhere in Scripture to apply to this and to understand this. So the second commentary might have something, or the third, or the fourth, or the fifth, if you're looking at multiple places. Um, Somebody else might have things that contradict what the first guy said. The other one in Proverbs 18 is verse 13. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. I've mentioned this verse before. Don't make up your mind, is what it says to me. Don't make up your mind without listening to what the other guy says, what he's actually saying. Don't assume that you know what he's going to say when he gets started. He says the first three words out of his mouth and you say, I know what this guy's going to say. Never mind. Um, Listen. He may have good scriptural reasons for what he believes. So find out why does he believe what he believes? What are his arguments that back up what he, what his position is? Even if he states his position at the beginning, listen to why. If he explains, how did I get to this, this answer? How did he get there? Maybe he has read, maybe he has noticed some scriptures that connect to this that you didn't notice before, that you didn't consider. Um, and even if you wind up in the end, disagreeing, still disagreeing with his, um uh, his view, you may have more appreciation for him as a brother in Christ, struggling with the same issues that you're struggling with, trying to figure things out, it may bring you to some humility, say, oh, I didn't think of that. You may find yourself less likely to dismiss him as an idiot or a heretic When you understand how he arrived at the opinion that he has gotten to, at his conclusion. In other words, you may find out that he is an honest believer who can help sharpen you as iron sharpens iron. I think it's a valuable thing to read different opinions, to listen to other people and try to understand where they're coming from, what they've seen, what they haven't, and then rather than judging one another on. What conclusions we've come to, converse back and forth. If you can, you can't obviously with with a commentary, a commentator will with the commentary or a commentator who has already died. You can't converse with them anymore. But if we converse among ourselves, we have a better chance of coming to an understanding of some difficult things because somebody else may see something that we've missed, or we may be able to help them see something that they have missed. The other verse was Acts 17:11, which says, These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. I mentioned this when we were going through the life of Paul. The Berean Jews listened to what Paul had to say, but they didn't just take his word for it. They went back to scripture to see if what he said matched what scripture said. We should do the same. Any commentary or commentator or brother or sister in Christ, listen carefully first then go back to Scripture and study it out again. All right. So, back to one. Therefore, as we've seen already, refers back to the things in chapter 5. And in chapter 6 it says, it's time to leave the elementary principles and go on. That's why I was thinking about the alphabet. Um, nobody here spending time rememorizing memorizing the alphabet. We know it, and we've moved on. Reading, writing, studying, leave behind the ABCs, and go for your PhD, so to speak. The first question that we need to ask ourselves when it says, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, is what are the elementary principles? And he's going to list some things there. That seems like that's an easy answer. But there are at least a couple of basic interpretations of the rest of that verse, and verse 2. Some people look at that as these are the first things that a Christian needs to learn. Once you become saved, you need to you need to know about repentance from dead works and faith toward God, or some of that is involved in being saved. Um, and then baptism, laying on of hands, and resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So these are all things that a baby Christian needs to know. That that's what he's listing here. The other view that I'm aware of is that these are talking about Old Testament things. Pictures from the Old Testament. You say, if you're like me, and say, I never heard that. Didn't think of it that way. How in the world did they come up with that conclusion? Well, these things are all found in the Old Testament. Uh, which direction you go on, that may determine some of the things that you do with interpreting the rest of the passage. But the Old Testament prophets talked a lot about repentance. They were constantly calling the people back, change your minds, change your hearts, rethink your position, come back to the Lord. And they talked about the fact that the people were doing dead works, So repentance from dead works. They were following some of the rituals in the Old Testament Oh hum time to go and do this again. Uh, the prophets said, stop doing these things just with your hands. Do them with your heart. Repentance from dead works and faith toward God. There's a lot about faith in the Old Testament. Trusting Him. You get to the New Testament. Faith is still directed toward God. But a faith that leaves out Jesus Christ is not an adequate faith anymore. Repentance of... From dead works, faith toward God, the doctrine of baptism. You say, there's not a whole lot about baptism in the Old Testament. But the word, the word that's used here is not the same word that we usually use for baptizing people. So the one for baptizing people is baptisma in the Greek. And this one is baptismos. And that's only used four times in the New Testament. Take a look, Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, we'll start in verse 3. It says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding with the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. The word that we're looking at is this one for washing of cups and pitchers and copper vessels and couches. Get to verse 8. It says, laying aside the commandments of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things that you do. Also in Hebrews, this word is going to be used again in chapter 9. I'll start in verse 9. It says, it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience concerned only with foods and drinks and various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. So well, this word is the one there in chapter, in verse 10, various washings, washings of cups and bowls and things like that. But so it's more likely, talking about the Old Testament things there, the pictures, all of those things, according to chapter 9, all of those things were pictures of what was coming. They're not the actual things that purify you as a believer, but they are pictures of Christ. Uh, Let's see. So the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands, laying on of hands. We don't see a lot of teaching about laying on of hands in the new Testament. You you do see that they laid hands on people to heal him. Jesus did that. The apostles did that. Um, There's also a few places where it talks about that they laid hands on someone and they there was a, a spiritual significance to that, a blessing being given or some kind of gift being given to them. But there's not a lot of teaching about laying out of hands. In the Old Testament, on the other hand, you do have some things about laying out of hands. And the laying out of hands had to do primarily with sacrifices. You laid your hands on the, the head of the animal, identified with the animal, and then the animals sacrificed or in some cases the animal was led off into the wilderness to carry the sins away. Because in some of the places that it talks about in Leviticus, the priest would lay his hands on the head of the animal and recite the sins of Israel, placing the sins on the animal before the animal was led away. Resurrection of the dead, and you say, Ah, resurrection of the dead. You don't see a lot about that in the Old Testament now, do you? Well, you do. Uh, there, there were people who were raised. From the dead, there are also places like Job 19, if I can find job job nineteen twenty five to twenty seven for I know that my redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Psalm seventeen, fifteen: As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Talking to God, he says, one day I will awake in your righteousness. Isaiah 53, hence at it. Isaiah fifty-three, ten through 12. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin... The offering for sin was going to be slain, right? When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days. After death, life, long life. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servants shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Who collects the spoil after a battle? The people who got killed in the war, right? No, the survivors, right? The survivors collect the spoil. Here he says, I will divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death. Got to be a resurrection. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. So that Daniel chapter 2 covered both of those last two things, resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So well, the Old Testament is the starting place for those principles, those things that, that he's talked about here. They are the beginning pictures of Christ. What's coming. They're kind of crude pictures, but they give us hints about the Savior, about laying hands on, laying our sin on another, on someone else. And a sacrifice that's being made doesn't involve me being the sacrifice. They're illustrations that are given in the Old Testament of what is to come. Some people who... See these things as Old Testament things, look at this and say, okay, so basically, this passage is only talking to the first century Jews, and he's telling them, look, you need to forget about all that stuff. That was just pictures. Now the reality is here. Jesus is here. So forget all that. Put it away. It's gone. Turn your back on that and come to Jesus. That's true that they did need to leave behind the sacrifices and those things. But if that's all it means, then it doesn't have a lot to say to us today because we're not involved in the sacrifices. We do look back at them, and we learn things from the sacrifices that they did. On the other hand, some people, like I said, think of this as, okay, these are all these new, new things that need to see when you're getting saved, repentance from dead works and faith toward God, and get baptized, and resurrection of the dead, basic things of the Christian life. Some of those people look at these things and say, okay, so basically this is talking about all the things that you need to learn when you get saved, as you get saved, right after you get saved, and now it's time to move on from those basic Christian doctrines. That does, he does talk about the fact that laying, not laying again the foundation. I think the foundation was with the the foundational principles that are described in the Old Testament and moves on into the New Testament. But if they're foundational, what do you do with the foundation? Do you say, okay, we have now built the foundation. Let's shove that off. No longer needed. No. You build on it. I can tell you this because I have been in construction for most of my adult life. And... Generally speaking, when you pour a foundation or you lay a foundation with pavers or whatever, once you get the, the foundation laid, you do not just lay down and take a nap on it and sleep there for the rest of your life. No. You don't pitch a tent on it. You continue building. And you'll find in like 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where Paul mentions that a foundation has been laid. Read that. Verse 9, he says, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For other foundation can no one lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We are supposed to move on. We are supposed to build. And those are, i say Two different interpretations of what what's going on in this chapter. And that's just in the first three verses. And they can lead you in different directions as you go further. Uh, the author of Hebrews wanted the believers to grow up and move on. He wanted them to know Christ more deeply than they knew him at this point. didn't want them to just look at Christ as someone who saved us in the past. But he wants us to know Christ in the present and to look forward to what Christ is going to be doing in the future. He wants us to respond to that. That's his goal. And he says in verse 3, this we will do if God permit. The Lord willing, we are going to grow and progress in our understanding of the Lord Jesus. I will tell you as we go into more of this, hopefully down the road I will be able to teach some more in Hebrews, um, that I do not have all the answers. And by the way, it's not my goal to be able to hand you all the answers, wrapped up neatly like a present and tied with a bow and say, here you go, you got it, because I think the point of some of this is that we are supposed to be growing from from chapter 5, the end of chapter 5 that we are supposed to be growing and learning to chew, learning to get our own food and fix it and chew it and swallow it and digest it, not to have it all handed to us. Uh, Hopefully, we can all learn to do that. I feel certain there are people sitting here who are far better at that than I am. And I, I am certainly willing to listen to suggestions um, from those who know better how to read the scriptures and how to interpret the scriptures than I do. Help me out. Um, But hopefully also as we move on, I'll be able to offer you any suggestions that I see that help to interpret some of these things, or at least give you some questions to ask. Hopefully I'll be able to pick up in verses four through eight sometime soon. In the meantime, may the Lord give us understanding. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you didn't leave us in the dark. You told us who you were. Thank you for the pictures that you gave in the Old Testament of your son coming. Thank you for the revelation of him personally when you brought him into the world. Thank you for the salvation that he's provided for us. Father, we ask that you would help us. We would continue to grow in our faith. That it wouldn't be just looking back, that it would be effective, that it would affect our lives every day. Name of Jesus.